everyone. Welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I am your host, Sarah Sin, or just Sin for short. Here on um, here with me is my meaning of evil and partner in crime, as always, Nathaniel. Hi. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Again, on our show, um, we love talking horror movies and not just what we like, what we dislike, and analyze them. We always try to bring in the element of horror and history, since horror movies tend to reflect society's fears especially in the decade they were made in. And since I'm a psychology major, I always like to bring in that aspect of psychology or mental health, whether it's how the movie actually represents mental health in any way or how horror movies in general can actually be therapeutic. So, and so, uh, sorry. Today's movie is going to be 1989, The Phantom of the Opera, directed by Dwight H. Little. And again, I apologize if I mess up on anyone's names. Uh, starring Robert England, because this is our Robert England month, as the Phantom or Eric Dessler. Jill Sholin? Sholin? Yep. Yeah. As Christine. Alex Hyde-White as Richard. Bill Nighy as Martin Barton. Terrence Harvey as Inspector Hawkins. Stephanie Lawrence is Carlotta, or Law Carlotta. And then I just had to throw this in, Molly Shannon. Molly Shannon's in this movie, yeah. Yeah, as Meg in the modern day times. Mm -hmm. So horror history, I had a hard time with this movie. I'm just not going to lie. It was a rough week at work. So my brain wasn't all there. But <clears throat> I guess the one thing I picked out was kind of the length people will go for fame and fortune. People to the point that they will sell their soul to the devil, you know, actually or metaphorically mm -hmm. um, many people want fame they want to be celebrities they want that attention and will actually stomp on others to get there and will pretty much do anything and everything to achieve that dream so that's kind of what i picked out because the phantom himself kind of represents all that mm -hmm. in my opinion um psychology and mental health was another one i had a little trouble with and most of them are the phantom because he is the central pretty much the central focus of the movie anyways um, narcissistic personality disorder, definitely. Obsession, infatuation, he's a stalker. Mm -hmm. Got fixation, definitely a disturbed desire and lust, and he's definitely delusional. So today we have another special guest. So hope we can do this monthly. This be nice. Mm -hmm. We have Samuel, or I will probably just call him Sam from hey. At the Devil's Ball. Yep. Which is Thanks actually for having us. <laughs> Thanks. Which is actually uh, Nathaniel's other show, so yep. I have to share him, mm -hmm. which I don't like doing, but I do it. Well, so, you're—I'm still yeah. waiting on the on the checks for for sharing him. I, I thought we had a rental agreement, right? <laughs> to use him, I think he should be paying us. Oh. <laughs> you see, mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, Samuel, why don't you? Um, I always like to have you as the guest tell a little bit about yourself, mm -hmm. and then if you can tell me any like how horror movies might be therapeutic to you if you feel that they are and if there's a specific movie that might be what i call a security blanket like your go-to movie such as reanimator is always mine so if you want to do that talk a little bit of that that'd be great yeah i mean i'm a lifelong horror fan um 43 years old and uh zero years sober <laughs> no um i i grew up uh with uh, problems with depression, ADHD, uh, and uh, PTSD. So uh, I started off as a young child being scared of every everything. I mean, I was afraid of the uh, reruns of The Incredible Hulk because 
when David Banner changed into the Hulk, I got terrified. Hmm. Um, we had just uh, we just did an episode on The Shining, and I had mentioned to Nathaniel that my parents used to use that as like the boogeyman. Uh, they're like, I was so scared of The Shining just from seeing like bits and pieces of it that uh, my parents were like, you know, if you're not good, we're going to make you watch The Shining. And I'd be like, all right, I'll be good. <laughs> now it's one of my favorite movies, so jokes on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, uh, I don't know, maybe about second or third grade, uh, we started, uh, we bought a VCR from a friend of ours who owned a video shop. Mm-hmm. And if you bought a VCR from them, you could rent however many movies you wanted whenever you wanted to. Oh, that's nice. cool. I don't know if that was for everybody or just because us, because we were friends with them. But I mean, I, I had my run of the video shop. <laughs> as long as, as long as I didn't go behind the beaded curtain, um, right. I could rent pretty much whatever I wanted to. So I, you know, ran through all the children's oh, books and the sure. Disney stuff, and then went to on to action and horror. And ever since then, I just been you know huge into horror movies. And yeah, like you said, it's 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 a nice space to um, confront you know, maybe deep-seated insecurities and fears and have a little fun with it. Um, I tend to go towards the, you know, fun kind of horror movies more than the, you know, a Serbian film or whatever, you know, which I do like. I like I like <clears throat> intense horror films as well, but, you know, they're not my security blanket, as you say. They're my, they're my I want to feel like shit for two hours movies. I'm sorry. Right. I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this. I apologize. Go right <laughs> um, ahead. It's fine. I have a mouth of a sailor. Okay, fair enough. Um, I forgot to ask beforehand, so my apologies. Um, yeah, so my my go to films usually uh, George Romero is my is my big one. Um, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead are tied for my favorite film of all time. Depends on my mood. Right. Um, so any of his stuff is good. Uh, David Lynch, if I want to have a security blanket and be baffled at the same time, I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> is a good one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I like watching new stuff, old stuff. You know, I grew up obsessed with Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween, like any of us 80s kids were. Yeah. Right. Friday the um, 13th was my first movie at age five. Nice. I was Friday the 13th growing up was always the one that I went to most, uh, more than Nightmare. Uh, Halloween series um, frightened me more than Friday the 13th did, especially like when the she was uh, four and five where he's chasing around Jamie Lloyd. That was a little too much. Oh, the little girl, yeah. I was the same age and the, right. the killer's right. going after her. I'm like, what? No, no. <laughs> Turn something else on, please. Mm-hmm. Um, big fan of uh, Robert England and his work. Uh, obviously, Nightmare series mostly. Um, I believe I asked to do this one if you didn't mind because I haven't seen this version, this of uh, uh, Phantom of the Opera before. Yeah, this is my first time too. I um, grew up on the musical. My mother was right. a big musical person and this was like her favorite play of all time and I used to know the soundtrack forwards and backwards. Not anymore. like like I watched, you know, growing up. I watched the Lon Chaney version. I watched yeah. the, mm-hmm. the Claude Rains version. I think I had seen the uh, Herbert Lom one, but I don't really remember much of it. Um, but this one came out '89, so it was yeah. at the almost the tail end of you know the slasher boom. And I wasn't sure what to make of it, but I saw it at the video store, so I just never watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't terribly interested in the musical uh, at the time um but so it's just kind of like never never got around to it so yeah. i was interested to see what i thought of it you know 30 some years later from when it came out yeah right and it's it's good it's i it's not great that's kind of like how i, I felt like i thought it was a good right. um 
I was reading online because I didn't even know it was a book. I will say that. I just mm. always thought it was a musical written by Andrew right. Lloyd Webber. Never mm. even knew it was a book. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I liked it too because mm. after reading like uh, like three different synopsises of the book, it right. was a little bit of a better ad- adaptation than the musical right. was. I've read the book. Um, I want to say... It's, a, it's not exact, but... Yeah. I read the book, I don't know, maybe middle school or high school age and around the time I was trying to read all the, you know, the classic horror, Dracula, mm. Frankenstein, and stuff, and the, I don't much care for the writing style at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where novels were often uh, done, you know, in paper, newspapers, you know, were right. ran, ran it for like a few months, and it was just, the style, it, was, it felt like a lot of, like, like, like newspaper clippings, a lot of these novels did about mm-hmm. that time, so it's hard to get into, but I always liked the adaptations of, of this film. I probably would have got to this movie sooner had I known that, you know, half of uh, the people behind Canon Films uh, <laughs> produced this, because Canon Films was like the 80s schlock yeah. Meisters that I'd I'd love to watch any of their stuff. Yeah, this is a uh, Golan of uh, Golan and Gold uh, Golan Globus. Right. Uh, this is behind this, the film. Yeah. They had, they had originally were going to make this as a canon film, but then you know canon films ended because their basically money scam you know finally yeah. folded in on itself. Yeah. Um, but he was able to make this and wanted to make a sequel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terror. I looked that up. Yeah. Phantom mm-hmm. of the Opera. Terror in Manhattan. Right. I think, I think it's supposed to continue from where the movie left yeah, off. Yeah, I, ha- I have not seen the film, but rumors are that um, Dance Macabre with uh, Robert England was the what they it turned into. Yeah, that, that's yeah. the rumor. Yeah, that the script was the script for the sequel was alternate uh, was right. uh, altered to become Dance Macabre. Yeah. And no, much I didn't in, know that. Yeah, and much in canon films, you know, style way they yeah they they got him for this and signed him for a sequel before they yeah. even knew they were going to make this yeah and they tried to shoehorn in room for a sequel with which i think is the worst part of the movies is the bookends uh i don't feel like they're necessary no. um how do you guys feel about that like where the takes place in new york at the beginning uh, i i i don't see the purpose of it i never right. did i uh when watching film i felt the same way i was like i don't understand why this yeah if i had if i hadn't read that they were trying to do a sequel to this i would I would be completely lost as to why they did it. Yeah. I think that was my thing is I didn't understand why they started it. Cause like when she passes out or goes unconscious, I was like, is right. she it never really explains, is she dreaming? Is she reliving a past life? Did she actually go back in time? Like, right. Well, getting hit with a sandbag like really, that, you're dead. You're, <laughs> you're not even alive anymore. <laughs> but then she comes back at the end, like nothing just, happens. So. I don't know. Right. And then, yeah. Yeah. No, I, that was the only part I didn't like really um i don't know i mean i did like the movie. i think one of the biggest reasons maybe why people really enjoy it when it came out mm-hmm. was because they were expecting the musical right that's what they were expecting was and the, you know the andrew lloyd webber which is a great musical yeah that was that was part of that was part of that. the reason for making it and part of their um marketing they tried to market this towards fans of the musical um, and they also tried to market this towards fans of Freddy, and I'm not sure if it's a right fit for either of those because it's not a Freddy movie. It's not, and it's not, no. you know, Andrew Lloyd Webber either. It's its own thing, which is no. fine by me. Mm. Yeah. I mean, wait, were they doing the same play? I actually wrote that down. I couldn't remember which. Play. Uh, no, I think in the musical in the, they're doing Hannibal, but in the book okay. they're doing Faust. Yeah, the book in they're the doing, Faust. doing Faust. Yeah. And yeah. in, in the movie. Yes. Although in the book they didn't. Yeah. 
do the parallel between you know his actual literal deal with the devil and and faust which i thought was a nice touch it's something that this movie definitely tried to employ right was the connection with faust uh there they uh that they revealed that he gave that he made a deal with the devil so mm-hmm. that his uh music would be beloved right and so the devil cursed him by screwing up his face so he right. could because because in the original yeah. novel he was uh deformed from birth uh, it wasn't anything that happened to him right yeah so I think this actually works yeah, better. Because it was like regard. an epilogue. Like his, right. Yes. Uh, a character. Yeah, because I've heard that. Because it was like he was at birth, did like high shows, circuses. Well, yeah. The, uh, the character that does the, uh, does the postscript in the book is actually in, sort of in this version with the rat catcher. Right. Um, which is a character mm-hmm. that is, it is not in, I think, any other adaptation I've ever seen. Uh, uh, no, the Persian usually gets cut out of any adaptation I've yeah, noticed. I don't yeah. know why that is. But yeah, maybe because it just doesn't work. It's have having a postscript like that where you explain the plot doesn't really go nowadays. Um, no. You know. Um, but then they, I also noticed though, that they give the exposition to the cop, uh, the mm-hmm. detective, not the rat catcher, which is, uh, right. uh, uh, was a strange choice. For me. But um, if you're going to kind of adapt the Persian as a character into the story, then at least have him give the exposition. But, right. um, but I mean, no, I mean, it, it, it works. I, I, was, I was really, really kind of excited to see that. I was like, well, she's the rat catcher. Uh, I, have, I right. actually, I had seen this movie prior I did see it years ago. Mm. Um, I hadn't seen it in forever. Um, and I remember when I, I think I watched it, I had very, very little memory of it uh, to the point where I was sort of like almost cold coming into it. I remembered right. uh, obviously Robert Englund. I remember Jill Sholin, uh, who was in a whole, whole bunch of stuff around this time. Right. Uh, she was in The Stepfather. I think that was the big thing she had before that, the stepfather. She did the stepfather. She did popcorn. Uh, she did, oh, yeah, she uh, did do popcorn. Cutting Class, which starred a young Brad mm-hmm. Pitt. Um, right. She was also in, um, oh, God, what's the other big one that she was in? Um, and it was right around this time. But, uh, uh, but yeah, she was in a ton of stuff as, as a very girl next door character. Right. Um, and uh and but also a girl next door that had a little bit of a and I, it's very prevalent in this film there's a little bit mm-hmm. of a narcissistic streak mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. jill sholin's performances uh, right. which is really really interesting to me because it's sort of like she's the girl next door and she's very nice and sweet but she's also like seems to almost be like half a second away from like telling you that she's done taking your shit right um like she's very interested in what she wants to do in fact there's a plot point in popcorn that mm-hmm. she uh, she was so self involved that she sort of ignores her boyfriend, um, and uh, so I mean it's a, it's it's and this performance there's a little bit of that in there there's a little right. bit of that um, as Sarah pointed out kind of that obsession uh, mm-hmm. that sort of uh, and so there's a connection between yeah. Christine and and uh, Eric the Phantom in this film uh, in that it's not played up I think as strongly as it could be. But um, it's something that a lot of adaptations don't really actually bother to really do, which is the mm-hmm. connection between Christine and the Phantom. That the Phantom right. is sort of is sort of her. She takes a left instead of a right. Right. And uh, so that that's in this film. I think is very very interesting. Um, and there's, there's a little bit of a dark side. I think Jill Sholin's really well cast in this movie. So. Yeah, I, I, I noted that. Um... Well, speaking of her, oh, I mean, how did? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, what did you guys think of the? Christine character herself, because I kind of, I don't know, like, herself was great, but the character, I, I was like, she's a likable character, she's very soft and sweet, very mm-hmm. innocent in a way, but I just wouldn't consider her a strong female character, in my opinion, I, she's kind of like the damsel in distress, she really 
right. fights back is at the very, very end. So I just, I wouldn't categorize her as a final girl. No. So I was just no. wondering what you guys thought about the character. Cause that's kind of what I kind of saw. Well, I was like, yeah, kind of going likable, go- but not strong. Right. Uh, kind of going to what Nathaniel had just said, I'd noted that, um, that in pretty much all the adaptations of this that I've seen, they kind of do with the parody of the relationship between the Phantom and her, where they're, he's not her, just her obsession. He's uh, her, she's his muse and vice versa in the novel like she Mm -hmm. she thinks he's you know his i believe they call him his her angel of music the angel of music yeah um and they don't really yes it's very one-sided in all the other adaptations of this where you know he's obsessed with her she's kind of like you know oh who's this mysterious gentleman and then gets freaked out when you know he reveals himself um in the book in the book it's 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 a more level playing field between the two of them and they're kind of both using each other and both not in a healthy relationship with each other um and but yeah i mean at the end you know he turns out to be too much of a monster and she's not as much of a monster um zigs were you know he's eggs like like nathaniel said yeah yeah uh yeah i mean i think the character uh the christine character christine day in general is never mm-hmm. usually portrayed as particularly strong or powerful mm, um, no. she's very passive mm-hmm. Uh, even in the original novel. Um, And in most adaptations, she's very, very passive, uh, where the main conflict usually ends up becoming between the Phantom and Raoul, or in this case, I think Richard Richard in this version. Uh, The big big climactic battle Mm -hmm. in in almost every version is basically the Phantom versus Raoul. Yeah, because, because, you know, while they're both kind of obsessed with each other, like um, the Phantom thinks that he's going to literally be with her and, you know, Raul is the the other guy, you know. It's it's yeah. He's the competition, and right. and it's a very dated concept of sexuality. Obviously, it was you know what was this nineteen ten when they made this uh, the book wrote the thing yeah. yeah yeah yeah. And the first adaptation was a silent with Lon Chaney, which kind of plays it somewhat the same. Yeah, it's it's always a little odd to see the the way that the, the just the. Uh, the chauvinism of, of the piece, I guess, come through, yeah. In the, yeah. in the, especially the third act. Yeah, it was 1909. It was published in, in the, the newspaper. Yeah. No, yeah. The, the 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 novel. Yeah. The it was originally published, you know, in, in parts okay, yeah. in the paper. Uh, I think the silent film was 1920 something. I don't have that on in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. I can uh, say 1929. Right. I have, no, I have seen n- that one. Yeah. I have almost no knowledge of the Andrew Lloyd Webber version. I, I saw it once and um I was just wasn't for me. Um I was never a teenage girl. It's, it's I, mean, not, I don't I, mean, I don't good. mean that it's in a good, bad way. It's, I don't, it's just it's just never been, you know Right. I've never been into the kind of, you know, I'm pining for this mysterious boy. You know, it just doesn't work for me because I've never been that person. Well um, I will say I Andrew, Lloyd, up. Andrew Lloyd Webber's film is is exceptionally well done. Um uh, Schumacher is a hell of a director, actually. But, uh, in terms of of, of crafting uh, right. uh, uh, scenes, and it's miscast all over mm-hmm. the place. But uh, I mean, why draw? Well, I, I I I saw like a tape performance of the of the musical. I don't know if I've ever actually watched the entire Joel Schumacher film. Oh, well, well which good. version are you talking about? Because 1986, it was uh, Sarah Brightman and. Brightman. Matt- 
I, I couldn't the even tell you. I and they, I mean, I, I mean, Sarah Brightman has a beautiful voice. She's wonderful. Yep. She's very. Good. I know for 80, was, 1986, those are the two. It yeah. was whatever version that was available on DVD for a while of like the 90s. I had, couldn't tell you which. It was almost was. certainly the Sarah Brightman. Oh, oh, the 2004. 2004 with Gerard Butler. No, no, no. I've, I've seen That's part of that. Of. I, I've seen no. part of that, but I haven't, I okay. haven't watched the whole thing. I saw part of the the live performance. I saw the entirety of that once on either DVD oh, or PBS. Okay, okay. That would have been probably Sarah Brighton. Okay. I think it's like, might be 2006. I was always more of a late biz guy. But I, I haven't seen 2004. I, re- I refused. Right. Um, Jen had watched so, it. I don't, I don't think she was terribly enthused and, with that Gerard Butler version. He was miscast. Uh, I actually do. I do think the film was actually quite. I was going to say, yeah. Well, Joel Schumacher takes a lot of guff, but I mean, yeah. he's a good filmmaker. He doesn't always make the right choices, but I mean, yeah. yeah. But a I lot mean, of times they, they rely more on the person's name right. than the talent yeah. of that person. Like, for uh, instance, Mamma Mia. Have you seen Mamma Mia? No. The movie? No. Terribly miscast. Right. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. A lot of the people in there are terrible singers. So. Let's. Who did we? Ever, they never actually said who did the singing in this, but I know it wasn't the actress who played. Uh, it was uh, Nancy Fontana. That was some. Fontana. That was some good opera music singing right there. That yep, was... she's the one who sings the actual. Uh, does the actual singing for the part of Christine? Day. Okay. Uh, Jill Sholin does the lip syncing. Right. Um, I mean, there's a, it's obvious looking at it. That's, and I'm pretty know, sure the girl her. plays La Carlotta sang. Okay. Probably. I haven't seen anything that suggested that she didn't. I know that uh, I, all I know is that Nancy Quintana did the, uh, I did look it up because okay. I was trying to figure out if it was Jill Sholin or not. Um, well, I, I was 90% sure it was. I was 90% her sure her voice is husky. Well, yeah. to, her voice is so husky to begin with. She's not going to be able to sing that high. I don't, I don't think. Well, yeah, so how does this, how does this add up against like the, the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical? Like they're entirely different animals. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this would have never played for those kind of people in the first place. Uh, Almost certainly not. No, I mean, right. this is, uh, I, I feel like this film is a little bit more, I mean, it's obviously inspired more from the slasher right. perspective end of things. Uh, way more interested in, I think, in having the character, you know, kill people than, right. uh, than although Anglin, to his credit, gives, I think, gives a lot of pathos to his performance. Uh, he does, he much, does. I feel it's much more subtle than a lot of his other ones. I mean, especially compared to, uh, we did The Mangler last week and he's like devouring the scenery on right. Moss in that film. Um, and delightfully so. Yeah. But in this film, he's actually, uh, and you could kind of tell that uh, you, like young Robert Englund probably had this on his bucket list. You know, like playing the Phantom was probably something that he really wanted to do. So, um, I don't know that yeah. for sure, but I know. Uh, I, I did reread the, the short chapter in his book about, about the the phantom okay the other day and yeah he was jazzed i i feel like and he didn't say this in so many words i feel like he was like sweet i get to do phantom of the opera and they're like oh yeah but you're gonna be under like three layers of makeup so he's like god damn it <laughs> again uh, right because i mean and they, they made him to... look a lot like freddie i feel well he they worked with kevin yeager who worked with <clears throat> him on freddie so he first of all he knew how to play to his face and i think he just kind of did an over right. exaggeration version of his face yeah i mean I feel like that was probably, you know, Golan when he when he asked Fred uh, Robert Englund to be in this is like, well, we need you to be Freddy. You know, you're you're our Boris Karloff. Uh, we need we right. need to play a, a version of Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I think he gives a very. Good did, I mean, I like. I I actually wrote a whole bunch of notes. On him. Mm-hmm. I liked him. 
Yeah, he was. Uh, it's a very good performance. Uh, he, he, and like I said, he's he's very. There's some. There's some. I think there's some sympathy that Robert Englund has for the part. Um, yeah. There's also a lot of unabashed malice that Englund is, of course, exceptionally good at portraying. Uh, uh He's, you know, he's America's. He's, he's America's, you know, bully. He's America's boogeyman. You right. know, um, and he's bringing that to this mm-hmm. performance in a in a very very meaningful way. Yeah. But it's not. It's it's also not the same performance. It's it's yeah. Not, you know, no. it's obviously you watch the you're like okay, yeah, that's the guy who plays Freddy, but he's not playing Freddy. I mean, he's no. he's doing his own thing here. Um, that's far different. And I was wondering if you guys, how you guys felt about, um, especially like in the maybe the middle part of the film where he's almost like a vigilante. He's hmm. <laughs> there's a little bit of like the shadow or dark man or, or, or Batman in, in this DNA somewhere. Well, yeah, Dwight H. Little, uh, the director, was actually not particularly well-known for horror. Uh, he right. did this in, in Halloween 4, basically mm-hmm. his horror films. His more famous stuff was like March for Death with right. uh, Steven Seagal. He did um, Rapid Fire oh. with Brandon Lee before Brandon okay. Lee uh, did The Crow and uh, got killed on set. Uh, he's way more action-influenced uh, action than he is horror-influenced, and I think that shows in several parts of this film, uh, right. as well as... Um, some weird uses of slow motion. Um, there's a lot in this movie that I, mm-hmm. I don't know if there was a clear idea of what they were doing at times. Um, Such as? Well, predominantly in that, so it's like a horror movie, then suddenly it's an action movie. Right. And then it's sort of like, a, it's, it's sort of like a, a stalker movie and then it's a horror movie again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it goes, I mean, is it Faust? Is it Phantom of the Opera? Right. Is it, Nightmare on Elm Street, where, where, where is it, Dark Man? Uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's kind of all over the place in terms of its uh, uh, choices, stylistic choices. Um, but I mean, uh, and, it's, and it's odd because I, I literally had ripped out of my notes, you know, about it reminding me of Dark Man. Mm-hmm. And then I remembered that Dark Man came out like the year after, but they had been trying to shop it for a few years, so he yeah. might have heard of it. <laughs> It's like, well, he's kind of well. They were both kind of also inspired by the shadow in, in a lot of ways. Um, I think Sam Raimi was a little inspired by Phantom of the Opera as well when he was working on the thing. So it might have just been having similar DNA. But I was yeah. definitely think uh, during the opening when they showed New York and uh, is it too is it too soon to see the Twin Towers? Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the opening shot of New York and the fine. music was I. Was uh, was very uh, Tim Burton. It felt like they were trying to also go a little bit for the Batman uh, stuff, which is odd. Mm. Yeah. And I know they did cut yeah. out a lot of the gore on this. Uh, it was originally an X rating. Yeah, uh, I was gonna say the kills were not. Which is too bad because the that was like the one kills. I wrote was like the kills were not very gory. Yeah, it, apparently it was originally very gory. I I don't know if. I missed the chance to get that uh, Blu-ray on from Scream Factory. I don't know if they had any of that in there, uh, in the bonus features or whatever. But right. Yeah, like especially like the first kill when the guy's you know on the the rigging and he drops him down and just cuts him, he cuts him like a fish as he's dropping down. Like I'm pretty sure there's a lot more there than what finally made it to the screen. Yeah. Or like you know the whole thing with did him cutting that guy's head off with the with the switchblade basically <laughs> in one in one swing one swing uh, yeah yeah he's uh he's superhuman here uh 
does a lot of uh, does a lot of physical things that he shouldn't be able to do. And at that time in the narrative, they don't make it particularly clear that he's supernatural. So it's kind of comes out of nowhere. Right. Uh, and then later they justify it with, uh, oh, by the way, he sold his soul. Right. Um, so, yeah, he does. A super Just that, you know, that's actually that's, super. Yeah. They seem to have actual supernatural elements like he's super right. strength. He could kind of. Like like Jason phase and be in one place than another, and then but yeah. in the musical or in the book, he's more of just he's just a human. Yeah, he's just a guy. But in the right, but in the musical, um, they describe him as like a magician, um, mm-hmm. master of illusion. Yeah. So and like um, hypnotize, do stuff like that. So he's not really supernatural. Because right. I know there's a part where he throws like fireballs, but oh. it's not supposed to be a supernatural element. It's supposed to be like he's a magician. Right. So this one was interesting that they took that supernatural element, as I was thinking, because I was like, and, it was definitely a different take. And one of the critiques of the original, one of the critiques of the original novel was uh, after you know the epilogue or whatever the the Persian comes and explains everything to the audience at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people were like, "Well, it's he's just a guy." It was it was more scary when he was actually a phantom. <laughs> so they, one of the critiques at the at the time when they published it was that they're wasn't enough of a supernatural element to it yeah which is kind of ironic i think yeah so yeah, yeah uh well, the, i mean like I, said, I haven't read the book so uh so i haven't read the book either i uh, i'm just really familiar with it uh due to studying it uh, and studying the subject matter um right. but I, i've never actually read the actual novel um but i mean yeah it's uh it the film itself is it's an interesting little thing. um right and uh but i mean yeah i maybe we uh, uh what sarah started at the beginning with uh, the idea of, of him as like a stalker mm-hmm. uh is it's there in the original version of the character but it's really right. amped up here yeah there's there's no real love element yeah. to this um which is you know going into some, watching you know version any version of the van of the opera there should be a little bit of gothic romance in it and they kind of mm-hmm. none of that really came across in this version I'm not sure they're going for it. That's actually one of the things yeah. I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. Go, go. I was putting, I put down that he had narcissistic personality disorder, right. which is basically like um, their self-centered need for admiration from others. Right. And these are all from my abnormal psychology book, by the way, um, preoccupied with fantasies about their own success, brilliance or beauty. They're arrogant, conceited right. manipulating and i was saying like the phantom i feel like i don't feel like he's in love with her at all i feel like he's obsessed with her and right. he needs christine to admire him mm-hmm. in order to feel better about himself like he needs that admiration from her mm-hmm. and he but in a way like he thinks christine needs him in order to be a better singer but the truth is he needs her well, he's her. he's sort of in a as almost a textbook abuser he's created a scenario where she doesn't Right, right. Uh, he's delusional. Yeah, he has created this. Created this. I think in any version of it, actually, there's still that element of abuse where the Phantom yeah. has created a scenario where Christine right. does feel like she needs him. She can't succeed without him. He's her right. tutor. Uh, he's always uh, there to be like, you know, you you need me to to become a better singer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's never it's never been a good romance. It's never been no. a, a healthy romance. That's for no. sure. Uh, no, and Eric, uh, this is Eric, just more. This is just entirely obsession. It's, there's, it and it, doesn't I'd feel... say infatuation too, and lust. Yeah. And you know, there's a li- there's a little bit of her, you know, 
realizing that this person is going to, you know, make or break her career, but there's never anything more than that to it that I run into it in this version, at least. Right. No, uh, for her, I, I, there seems to be, like I said, I, like I said earlier, I feel like the, one of the things that is sort of raised, but never quite discussed mm-hmm. uh, in the film is the idea that they're almost two halves of the same whole. Right. Um, the, <laughs> there is something of an idea of a cautionary tale to him mm-hmm. uh, for her, where she is, like he keeps bringing up the uh, the whole uh, only th- two things last forever love and music you know wishing right. for the shoes, uh, and that the idea is he's chosen, right. uh, he's conflated the two mm-hmm. to being right. the same thing, um, and so he's saying you know what are you going to choose you know and ultimately we don't really know what she exactly chooses because the the lines between the two aren't quite as uh, 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 established as well as maybe mm-hmm. they could be. Um, but I mean, like, ultimately yeah. she chooses not him, right. but there's supposed to be that idea that she uh, could very, very easily become, him. you know, make that deal with the devil that yes. we were talking about at the beginning, uh, yeah. that, you know, um, and I think that's supposed to be part of what's mentioned in the, in the opening bumper in, mm-hmm. um, where like, she's talking with Molly Shannon, uh, but I mean, when Molly Shannon tells her, like, you know, I found this like rare musical and she right. kind of mentions that this guy was you know a murderer and a psychopath right. but she's like yeah i'm gonna totally do this do this music right. um I- i'm excited by the fact that it's written by a madman um which is an interesting which again it shows a, a level of uh, of narcissism right. you know there's no she well, she's definitely a young up and comer. She's a go getter. She wants to make her career happen. Yeah. Um, and then right. she kind of, in this version especially, she kind of falls under the sway of this, you know, older and more experienced dickweed. <laughs> he's he's a maniac, but he's also older and more experienced, and he's trying to groom her into into something. You know. Yeah. It's yeah. And she frankly will... gross, but and... she also kind of welcomes it at the beginning. And they're they're connected by more than they're seemingly connected by fate because she actually right. uh, knows the words to his music intuitively. She never right. uh, never read them; she just knows them. And uh, and there's the whole, re- I mean, kind of nod to reincarnation with you know him turning out to be the director who's going to hire her in the first place. You yeah, know? which is a great um, which is a great performance by the way. When he yeah. when he comes up as that director, he's an entirely different person. It's fantastic. Right. Yeah. Um, and then he and then he turns on he turns it on. When right. she figures out that it's him, that it's him. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he plays. Uh, he plays that uh, uh, kind of New York City Broadway douchebag mm-hmm. unbelievably well. Right. Um, to the point where I like it. I, I, I yeah. when he comes up and he's like, "Oh, you're going to be a star." I'm like, "Actually, I like yeah. this guy." I wish I, he would have been would, playing that character throughout half the movie. I was like, I would go. I would yeah. go. I, I mean, if this guy said, "Hey, we're going to go have drinks and uh, we talk right. about your talk about how you're going to be the, uh, the future," I'd be like, "Yeah, man, let's do it." Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I, to the point where I actually almost feel like the ending that this movie would have might have, might have actually earned better mm-hmm. if she had actually chosen to stick with it. Right. Like I almost feel, and I felt like it at the end of the movie because I didn't remember how it ended. I would have, yeah, I would have ended it without her leaving him. Like just like leave it ambiguous. Um, yeah. Because mm-hmm. having her leave and then hearing the guy playing the violin. Play the violin. It was one ending too many. It was mm. it was Return of the King. <laughs> at that point, I'm like. You could have you could have stopped already. But that's what I mean. Is I actually thought the ending was going to be she didn't choose him in the in the past, but she chooses right. him in the present. I actually thought yeah. that was something she when he she kisses him goes to kiss mm-hmm. him, and I was like, she's gonna say, 
you know, I choose, I choose this. We're going to be, right. we're, go, we're going to fulfill our destiny and I'm going to be the best, I'm going to be the greatest name in Broadway history and you're going to help me. Um, I actually thought that based on even like her makeup and everything mm-hmm. that I thought the mise-en-scene was saying was, was to, for her to end up turning heel at the end. Right. That she was going to say. Even with her okay. outfit, I took a note about her outfit. Yeah. That a little yeah. black dress, the knee-high boots. Right. Yeah. You know, I even actually wrote a note that. She um, knew what kind of audition she was going for. Yeah, exactly. But I actually took a little note about Robert England because I was like, you know, it was kind of nice to see him without makeup because Mm -hmm. most movies I've seen him in, he's in makeup or prosthetic. He's a very attractive man. He was a handsome guy. Incredibly attractive man. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I wish. He's still handsome as hell now. I mean, I was. Oh, I know. It's great for his age. Yeah. I'm just saying it was nice to see him without makeup on for for once in a movie. It was very nice because I was like, wow, he's really, really attractive. And he's always under so much makeup. It was just right. for me, it was just nice, a nice touch to see sure. him a little different for once. But they kind of had to do the ending that they did because, like I said, they were trying to sequelize this. Yeah, they're trying to sequel it. Right. How, you, can't, you can't end your movie with them being in cahoots and then have, have a sequel that makes no. sense, I don't think. Yeah. But I still feel like that was the ending. That, this that was a better ending. I think this film earned that ending. Right. And it didn't, mm-hmm. it didn't, it didn't go there. Um, I really, really did think uh, right up to the right until she didn't. I was like, I really thought oh, that would be a really clever ending. Would be for, right. be like, you know what? I choose to deal with the devil. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I'm choosing to go in your direction. You know, your uh, you know, the, uh, I didn't then, right? Uh, apparently, but I do now. Um, and, uh, I and I, yeah, and I think everything about that scene was and the way it was lit, the way it was shot, mm-hmm. the way her outfit looked, where her makeup was. Really did scream to me that she was just gonna say, "I'm evil, I'm right. on your team." Um, yeah. But they uh, they ended up having her do more of the classical kind of final girl. I'm turning against you, and I'm gonna uh, uh, end you. Rip your face off. Right. Rip your face off. Yeah. Well, and that, that had to happen, I guess. And I they didn't do it earlier. Just... Uh, they didn't do the famous launching shot. Yeah, they have to. Uh, they have to give the audience what they came for, at least. Um, yeah, masking. Yeah. And I, I think much like. Uh, you know, Canon Films and Dwight Little as well, like has have this way of making high grade schlock yeah. where it's, where it's almost, it's almost great and clever, but then it's, it's still, it just falls just a tiny bit short of that. Oh, this movie's totally trashy. Right. It's but I'm saying trashy. that it has this moments, like, like you said, where the ending, you know, yeah. they would, would have just did a little bit, little tweak. It would have been a really clever ending, Yeah, uh, yeah. but then it just, remembers yeah. that it's it's just it's just a b-movie a schlock movie at the end of the day <laughs> yeah but i mean like uh uh right. i i had noticed uh, like you sarah you had mentioned like taking note of uh, of jill sholin's outfits and, and costuming i mean like what about one of her early mm-hmm. scenes where she's just wearing nothing but a corset right you know um uh and uh, corset and like leggings and that's it like she there's a, there's a scene that cuts from like it and there was a uh i made note of it it was a, a one two three and then the third shot was a subversion um, it was naked prostitute, uh, finding the, uh, gold coins underneath the thing to Christine in a corset in her bedroom to bathhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a bunch of naked old dudes and I'm like, and I remember being like, seriously, like, that's your third, right. that's your third go-to. You have two women, two beautiful women in, in scantily clad. And then you're going to jump to old junk. Um, <laughs> 
talcum powder. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, but it was. You know, they got something for the fellas. Now they want a little something for the ladies for who the ladies. are not going to be into that at all. For the ladies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Where he, kill, where he kills. Uh, he kills a film critic and uh, uh, kills an opera critic rather. With a, in, uh, with a towel. Uh, in a, with a towel. With a, with a towel and crushes his head. Yeah. Right. With his superpowers. Right. Uh, in a bathhouse of all. I'd places. much rather see from beyond at the libido. Mm. <laughs> that's a for the ladies that's what i'd rather see yeah like that's from beyond mean. how we yep. were talking about yeah 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 the little man hammock for uh ken uh, foray yeah <laughs> um yeah uh but yeah that was, uh, that, that, that outfit gives me conflicted emotions every time i watch that movie <laughs> ken, ken yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but i mean that, that's what i mean is this film is, is it's totally canon movie trashy right uh, it's, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, although there's very little actual, I don't think there's any actual nudity in it. I don't remember any actual full I don't film. recall, no. Yeah, there's, there, there's suggestions. I don't think so. Like, even the prostitute's naked and we see, like, Carlotta's in the bathtub at one point. Right. Yeah, and she shows some leg. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, they, yeah. they even do that shot where, where they rip, rip her towel oh, off. And you see her spin around, like, three but times. You're like, all right, well, we're going to see some nudity here. Mm-hmm. Nope. Well, nope. She, and then she covers up with a blanket. Right. Yeah. Um, it's in it, which is interesting. Uh, maybe that's in the rated X version. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, uh, maybe there was more nudity in that one. But I mean, it doesn't surprise I, I don't, me that you. I don't know. Movie. I don't know culturally the standards of like Israel that well to know if maybe that's just not something that Golan and Globus really thought about that much. Maybe. I know they did. A, they cut their teeth making a lot of sex comedies in like the late seventies, early eighties. But I don't know how graphic they were. Right. So, I don't know. But there was definitely enough from him. It was definitely sexualization. Well, I was going right. to say, actually, you mentioned the prostitute. I thought that scene was kind of interesting. Yeah. To see him actually with a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting him to kill her. Yeah. Because yeah, the one girl her. says, like, yeah. Because he's like, you don't know anything about desire. And then he grabs the girl who resembles Christine and then says, she's like, my name is, was it Maggie? Mm. Something like that. And he's like, you're Christine tonight. And yeah, I right. thought he was going to kill her afterwards. And then it shoots to her waking up in the morning with the gold coin. Yeah. I was like, ah, yeah, you didn't even kill that, her. That was a I nice was it's, it's a, I don't think that's been on any of the versions, uh, that kind of scene no. where he like spends a night with his, you know, pretend version of her. No, um, he's, he's sort so, of, which is right. interesting. Yeah. He's sort of a celibate figure. Right. In most versions, uh, even to the point of, yes. uh, even the point that in actual more, more, more to the point in most family operas, he's not even all that sexually interested in Christine. No, um, it's no. just interested in the idea. Of in fact, uh, in fact, the novel, the turning point of the novel at the very end, what, what causes him to to change his mind is she kisses him, and he's never right. been kissed before. It's his first time, and he he's uh, never been shown kindness. Yeah, right. he cry and he weeps. He cries, and and yeah. It, yeah. feeling feeling her feeling that she actually might love him or at least feel something for him changes mm-hmm. his mind, where he decides not to keep her forever in her right. cell. Um, that's in the musical too actually if yeah. I remember correctly in the musical she kisses him too and he has never been shown kindness because I think in the musical if I remember correctly again I might be wrong I think he was burned from because the so. opera house was burnt down right. yeah. and he was caught in the fire mm-hmm. and that's why he lives underground now but he keeps that box and so when they rebuilt it they rebuilt it over his lair so he was deformed from a fire if I yes. remember Yep. But, so he was an outcast at that point, and mm-hmm. he was never shown right. kindness or empathy, and he was very. And that was the other thing I, I took a note of was that 
with the musical and the book, you at least empathize with the fair phantom a little bit. You know, it yeah. wasn't their fault. They were disfigured. They, you know, one was burned, one was born that way. But in the movie, mm-hmm. you don't empathize with him at all. I mean, the man sold his no. soul to the devil. That's at what no disfigured point. him. At he no point is he an empathetic character. No. no, he's a true blue villain. Mm-hmm. So that was another note I kind of noticed was I was like, huh, I do not empathize with this man at all in this no. movie. No. He's That's, just a straight up villain. That could be part of the reason why it did it ultimately didn't work i mean because you're having the like you said you know the parallels between the two characters are you know but for one or two decisions they could be the same person whereas in this mm-hmm. you know it's never he's mangled or deformed and that's why he doesn't understand that he you know can have good things in his life mm-hmm. it's 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 more that he's always mm-hmm. chosen these bad things and how do you how do you meet at the middle with that you know it doesn't really scan very well no no he, he uh right. you know you the fan of the opera is supposed to be uh, is you know, and one of the reasons why the character i think has endured uh mm. as long as he has is because he's supposed to be something of a consummate outsider that everybody right. always remembers uh feels if anybody who's ever felt that even a little like an outsider yeah. will and the and the tragedy of that and there's no tragedy here this mm-hmm. is just no no, you, you made it's a stupid a, no. decision because you're a bad person. And it's a it. yeah. It's 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 there. There's more of a morality play happening here than a than a, uh, a sympathetic right. play of, of of complex individuals. It's right. uh, you know you have right. this is a phantom that is obsessed with with power and right. fame and notoriety. I, I feel like if they just put a little bit more in in the flashback sequence to when he sold his soul to like hmm. show that he was doing that because he felt inadequate or because he he, he wanted a, a woman or you know whatever he, right. reasons for why he wanted to do it. At least show a little before. Name. That's what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I do like yeah, the parallels. Yeah, like a little before he sold his soul. Right. I do like the idea that they did a direct parallel between the opera they're doing and you know actually right. what he did yes but it also ultimately because there's not mm-hmm. enough backstory to why he did that it, it, it ultimately ruins the movie in a way because mm. you know again it takes out all the tra- it takes out all the tragedy it takes out any identification you can really have for the character other than you know when he's killing you know people who are trying to rob him uh mm. that's that's a hell yeah moment i guess mm-hmm. for anybody you know yeah but yeah just it it undercuts so narrative mm-hmm. that way i think i think you're probably right so how would we fix yeah. this? Just put a little bit more in there as nice. to why. That's why I was thinking narcissistic personality disorder. Right. And yeah. it fits. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, that's, that's his motivation. Was, I feel like yeah. he was a narcissist before. His two motivations were, were yeah. fame and control. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he wants to control this woman because she's beautiful and she yeah. can, she can sing his song to the world or, or you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's all about him. It's all about him being recognized by her and being recognized by everybody else. There's, mm-hmm. It turns her into a kind of a non-entity when she should be the lead of the film. I mean, yeah. well, speaking about right. speaking about non-entities, let's talk about everybody else in this film. <laughs> right, um, right. Yeah. Great uh, cast, great cast, by the way. Just not given a lot to do. They're not given a lot to do. Um, right. uh, I actually noted when I was watching the film uh, the the cop that he plays cat and mouse with down in the catacombs. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's great. He gives a. There's. I'm like, mm-hmm. who is this guy? I want to know more about him. Uh, because he's like he's doing everything he should be doing. He's kicking open doors. He's putting his back right. to the wall, making sure that the Phantom can't sneak up on him. Right. He's clearly getting more and more worked up 
more and more worried about where the Phantom is. I want to see. I, I want to see the movie where he gets transported back in time to there too, because he was acting like a policeman. Now he was, like, yeah. like you said, he was checking yeah. the corners and everything. You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And he's got a revolver. Right? Uh-huh. Isn't he the one who also told the story of the Phantom, like the no. real story of the Phantom? No, that was the detective. That was. The, or was that Richard? Yeah, that was the head inspector. Oh, the detective. Oh, okay. head inspector. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yes. I was trying to remember. I knew one of them did. Yeah. yeah, no, the one I'm talking about was, I don't think he, I, he had a name and the Phantom kept yeah. saying it, uh, right. Phantom knew it somehow, but um, he was stalking him for a while. There's a whole expanded sequence of him like running through the tunnels and like trying yeah. to find the Phantom and he gets uh, tricked and opening the door and the other, the other guy's there and he shoots him. Right. It turns out the guy had already had his throat Oh, slit. okay. Yeah, he already had his throat slit anyway. Okay, yep. Right. But that cop, I thought uh, that actor He's the one who got his heart ripped out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Right? The yeah. one who got his yeah. heart ripped out? Okay. And I, the I really one. the other yeah. one was the mustache guy. Right. Yeah. And I really liked him. He just wrote down um, mustache guy. <laughs> mustache guy, yeah. Uh they, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, that's it. That's how uh, I am sometimes when I'm taking notes. That's as much, you know That's about as much as he characterization did. as he got. So good yeah. you know. Yeah. He was the only one in Beautiful. an actual right. he had a police uniform and a mustache. Right. And that was all he was. And he was just killed off screen too. Yeah. Um and that detective obviously that Well what about got, Bill Nighy? Yeah, like as Martin Barton, like I feel like yeah. he, I mean I didn't even recognize him at first. It was his voice yeah. I recognized before yeah. I recognized. Well, that him was, was that was one of his first American roles, I think. I think mm. he was just mainly a stage actor in England before that. Yeah, yeah. Bill Nye, he didn't really take off until he was much older, right? In, uh, in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's uh, he's a great actor. He's not again not given an awful lot to do. Yeah. Um, but that role is. That's not what I exactly, they kind of threw his character away. Even right. in other variant versions, though, I don't think that character is a particularly transformative role. I don't think there's a lot going on with that guy, no. uh, that character. Uh, the the primary story is always the Phantom, Christine, and Raoul, right. or Richard, as he is in yes. this case. Richard. Um, played uh, rather interestingly, it's another one of those movies that I always forget Patrick Wilson's in, but he plays uh, Richard or Raoul in the uh, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber version. Patrick oh, Wilson. Man. I didn't even know he could sing. Yeah, because they got people okay. who actually could sing. Yeah, the Schumacher one. In the Schumacher one, Patrick okay. Wilson. Patrick Wilson plays uh, Raoul in that film. Um, I must not have made it to him at the when I when I saw part of it. Well, it's another movie. It's what, like I said, Patrick Wilson's that actor. You find out he's been in everything. You never right. You never remember. Yeah, it's like hey, I love that guy. And it's like, oh, he's yeah. in everything. He was in Watchmen too. Nobody remembers <laughs> he was in Watchmen. Mm, well. uh, right, but uh, but yeah, I mean, like, but yeah, he played him in the uh, in uh, okay. the Schumacher version. Um, and, uh, this guy playing him, uh, basically, I mean, again, if you want, I mean, he has mutton chops, mm-hmm. pretty damn good. <laughs> mutton mutton chops. Chops. Yeah. Only the, only like the secondary or ancillary characters are the ones that are allowed to look like they're from Victorian England mm-hmm. <laughs> in this movie. Right? No, exactly. <laughs> well, I, I had noted, I had noted when she, uh, when Christine gets transported back in time or whatever, uh, uh, she came out and I was like, wait, is she, she, she's dressed as a Janet Jackson background dancer. <laughs> right. She's got like the little gold number, gold jacket number and a fez. And I'm like, so she's, is she going to be? Yeah, they're going to they're gonna throw her on stage. You're like, remember, you're part of the Rhythm Nation. You're part Let's of the it. Rhythm Nation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Janet Jackson, reference for the kids. Yep. Um, but, uh, but yeah. I, I mean, love her. Yeah. Janet Jackson's great. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, it, there's a lot of weird weird sort of modernization happening in the past as well yeah um 
And uh, to the point where it's like, and as we talked about kind of to circle back around to where we kind of started with the idea of like, well, why was this bumper there? Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, obviously finding out that there's a sequel was supposed to be a sequel. That sort of makes sense. Right. You know, um, that we're going to tell this one story that's in the past and the sequel is going to be in the present. But you never, you would never know that if you didn't look it up online or, or if you read Fangoria back in the day when they mentioned it. Like, <clears throat> right, right. Why did you just cut this out? I mean, oh, because we had to have the, the, the last effect shot of him ripping the, her face, I guess. So. I guess, yeah. Do you I, think it was supposed to be kind of like a wraparound? Because at one point, Meg at the very beginning says like, this music is by Eric Dessler, who supposedly killed a bunch of people in London and is linked to the, a missing opera girl. Yeah. Is I it think... supposed to like somehow be like she's the missing opera girl? Yeah, like, I believe so. Pretty much. Yeah. Like, or, to wrap yeah. around like that, and that's why? Well, yeah, I don't know. They... I mean, that's totally out there, but I <laughs> that's all I can think of. Like at, at first when I was watching this, and like I said, I'd, I'd only seen the VHS cover previous, so I didn't know a goddamn sure. thing about it mm-hmm. um i thought the whole thing was going to be set in modern day and all of a sudden i'm like well we're back in london i thought it was going to flip back and forth or right mm-hmm. and not just have these bookends you know of of modern day for seemingly no reason well i i had wondered if they were trying to well i mean i hadn't really wondered it then but i'm nudging it now based on what sarah just said about the uh uh, uh missing opera girl and everything right i'm wondering if it's implying that she actually is not a reincarnation but is actually the same person and she's or, never, or or that she's or never that, aged as well that she's part of his and he's the same you know yeah right uh if if uh if she's also like immortal as a result right. of his and that's what i mean is at the end of the movie should have been like her saying yeah i'm with you because it should have been her coming to the realization that she's actually also immortal that she right. also made a similar deal she just can't remember um yeah i mean that, that could be would be yeah. a much more interesting uh, uh background uh that she sort of just keeps forgetting who she was up until a certain point because her name is still christine day this yes. was also this was also after they did that uh beauty of the beast show uh, yeah i wonder if anybody had a i love that, that show yeah with ron that was a pretty good show yeah. with ron perlman and yep. uh linda, linda hamilton, hamilton. Mm-hmm. yes i, I love that show and around oh this God. time i know there was another film uh i i can't remember what it's called for the life of me but it was a kenneth Branagh film uh, that was about reincarnation, a very similar film that cut back and forth to flashbacks in the present day where he's like a cop trying to solve a murder and turns out he's done remember, it before. Yeah, I don't remember what the name of that was. Dead Again? Blank. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Right, let's go with that. Dead, yeah, I think it was Dead Again. <laughs> right. But it was good. the idea that, yeah, he had, uh, that he had like 100 years ago had actually been involved right. in the same case and the, the same murderer and the same woman. He was trying and, to remember his past life so that he could solve the murder in a day. And uh, there, was, there was a few movies... That was kind of almost a subgenre of itself in the mid to late '80s, where you know the time after time, Jack's back, you know, kind of kind of yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, reincarnations, uh, right. killers. Yeah, people coming back from the dead. And then it peaked a few years later with uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. You know, in a, in a way. Yeah, yeah, I was think that, that was, the, uh, yeah, I wouldn't. So I, 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 that wouldn't surprise me if this if this movie was part of like that's that film's inspiration too. I mean, that was right. I mean, but that would be the almost the opposite. It was almost like the opposite of this movie, though. And then that movie was the one where they added a love scene, added right. a love, a love mm-hmm. story to something that didn't have one previously. Right, but they played that reincarnation 
they angle did. pretty pretty long until that became the the thing that people point to for the trope nowadays really yes. yeah uh yeah she's the she was the reincarnation of uh of his lost love right which Dracula didn't yeah. have a last it, it was dead again you were talking about. Yeah, I just looked it up. Yeah. I, bar- I, mean, I, remember, call, yeah. I barely remember that movie, but it was another one I think around the same time, like 88, right. 89. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it, it, that, it was a trope at the time. Right. So, uh, I mean, whether or not this one was one of the ones that was ahead of the curve or not, I guess is somebody might know. The well, screenwriter might know. But. Well, I think, I, I think, you know, the pedigree would, would say that it was probably just right in the middle of the curve. <laughs> interesting, interesting note too. And I noticed in the beginning credits is something you don't see very often is uh, the credit was based on a screenplay by, and it was one guy. Right. And then said screenplay by another guy. So yeah. it was obviously rewritten. Uh, right. Somebody had written a screenplay and they said, well, well like I said, originally it was, it was going to be a Canon film, but then right. that fell apart. So they had to, they had to rework it. Um, and re, to, to get it made, like, you know, they had to pull the chandelier scene. And I think this is the only version that doesn't have the chandelier scene. Because That's they, actually they couldn't something afford I it. took a note about was that they, it's the one that doesn't have the chandelier scene without the they, famous one. They could not afford to do the chandelier right. scene. They didn't want to have to, re, what was it? They didn't want to have to keep buying chandeliers to, to break them. Right, because they had such a small budget because, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the money had dried up. You know, Masters of the Universe killed the studio that was already dying. Um, well, I, I like that movie too. I, I do too, but I mean, it 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 was the death knell. It the, was the death knell of canon films. Yeah, I mean the Aww. whole the whole ending sequence is because they ran out of money. They had yeah. almost had to shut the production completely to to do that. But that's neither here nor there. No, I, I think that I think the rewrite was just somewhere in him trying to salvage and re- redo a thing, but he didn't have the guy working for him anymore who who wrote the original. Yeah, you know, yeah. probably rewrites. And this was going to be, you know, his new studio, the start of his new studio. And unfortunately, that, that failed as well. I mean, yeah, this movie did not do well. No, uh, I don't think I, I want to say this is the only one that no. was 21st century films made. I, they might have made, I tried to make another couple other ones at the same time. But I know I didn't hear, I, I know I had never heard of any of the films that were in the early production slates uh, at right. the beginning of the film when they're like, you know, uh, I was like, I've never heard of any of these companies. So, uh, right. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, so uh, I know that the movie did not do well. Um, it it, uh, it didn't do well critically or commercially. No, uh, and not for a lack of competence because I think this is a competently made film. It's White H. Riddle knows what he's yeah. doing, yeah. he's a good journeyman director. Yeah, you um, mentioned all of my favorite films by him when you talked about him at the beginning. You know, I love you know his Marked stuff with Brendan Lee. Yeah, Marked for Death is the best Seagal movie there is because it's just so stupid. Yeah, that's <laughs> the one uh, for, the, for those listening, that's the one with voodoo. Yeah, I I love face. I love Seagal's work. I love Seagal's work up up through Under Siege One, and I'll I'll fight for those. They're, I will. Oh yeah. Lock. yeah. Oh yeah. I will fight. I will fight for Under Siege. But showdown a little to little to uh little, showdown little Tokyo. God damn it. Mm-hmm. Is that the one? No. Maybe. No. Rapid Fire. Rapid Fire with Brandon Lee. Brandon love Lee. that film. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, this guy knows what he's doing. Even you know, Halloween Four is 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 a well made Halloween sequel. I enjoy I enjoy Halloween. Yeah, yeah. Jamie's an orphan. Jamie's an <laughs> Your orphan. mommy's a mummy. Worst joke I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, but but in the middle of like the like the worst bullying in the history of horror films. Like, yeah, it's it's, it's like, bad bullying by even Halloween standards. Which yeah, like, starts off with bad bullying. Did your mommy make your costume? How can right. she? She's dead. Right. Um, uh, but. 
Uh, and then taunting you, Jamie's an orphan. Um, I love that scene. Yes. Uh, I showed that to my girlfriend this past Halloween, and she she was like, what the hell are we watching? Well, that's, that's part of what like got to me in that movie, too, yeah. when we were watching Halloween 4 when I was that age. And I, this isn't the show about that, but I mean, no. I mentioned that her being about the same that's age right. as me affected me. And, yeah. you know, I was a middle schooler getting bullied at the time. That That didn't feel good watching that scene and it still she doesn't wasn't, she wasn't a middle no. schooler she was yeah but you know what i mean like i was like these are these i mean i would almost actually around accept, the same age. i would actually almost accept that kind of bullying in like middle school or high school but for eight-year-olds to tell another eight-year mock another eight-year-old uh, for their dead i mother. don't know man i was for grade four is when it started and it didn't stop till about grade nine oh, uh, for me so i don't know kids can be very cool like very young kids like mm-hmm. i was actually um severely bullied probably most of my life right. I've always and, said that kids are just shittier versions of adults. Yeah. <sighs> well, like I had one, my cousin at one point in grammar school was mad at me. And I remember her looking at me saying like, well, your dad's not really your dad. So I don't have to be your cousin right. because my dad wasn't my biological dad. I have a biological dad. Mm. But just the fact that like right. she came out and said that to me, it was just so <laughs> cruel. I already knew right. that he wasn't, yeah. but he was still my dad. But like, they're so mean. Yeah, but by fourth or fifth oh. grade. Yeah. But I don't like, fourth and fifth grade i was in the quote-unquote gifted classes and those people were just a bunch of shits i mean half those classes are people whose parents are on the pta so they somehow managed to get in there because they have you know so much tutoring going on and the other half are like you know mutants like myself who suffer from adhd and probably you know don't have a very a lot of money at home let's say i know i got bullied a lot for being poor in, in there and a lot of, you know for being an outcast in there and that's where it all started so yeah. well now that we've got we've gone completely off topic from fan of the opera um that's all right we do this all the time i don't what's, mind yeah. what's my copay for this by the way <laughs> but anyway uh, we, have, we have hit the uh, we have hit the hour mark so if we wanted to i don't know if we want to start giving some final thoughts it's worth checking out i mean mm-hmm. it's it's not the fan of the opera isn't like one of the main ones you think of when you think of the universal horror movies, but it's definitely there. And it's definitely, a, a, I don't, I don't even want to call him a monster, but he, I mean, he's, he's a classic monster. I mean, and it's yeah. a good, it's a good enough adaptation of that. It's not anything terribly new, mm-hmm. but it's, it's worthwhile. It's not terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would just say if you love Robert England, you should just watch it. Cause I think, yeah. You guys say he's a great performance. I think, I mean, anything he's in, he is a performance, but I do think he does a very good job as the Phantom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's a great a good performance of him. A good performance. Uh, it's definitely his show. And then uh, there's also Joe right. Jolin, who I actually really do like. Uh, the other film I was trying to think of, by the way, was uh, When a Stranger Calls Back. She did. Ah, uh, yes. She was the, uh, the new Carol okay. Kane. Until Carol Kane and Charles Durning came and took over the film again. But. Um, mm. But yeah, she was in that as well. Uh, so, uh, but Sheila Sholin is, I think, is a very fine actress. I think she gives a lot of uh, uh, a lot of interesting stuff going on in her performances that are just under the surface. She's very good at nailing. Um, and that's it. There's basically the two of them. Uh, everybody else is sort of secondary. There's not yeah. really a lot going mm-hmm. on. Um, you know, it's also if you're a, a Molly Shannon yeah. fan, you can look at you know, her very small role at the beginning. Right. Um, and uh, but yeah, I think it's a. It's a. Uh, it's definitely a fun little, weird slasher, Faust hybrid hybrid thing going on that uh, uh, yeah. might put it under like an interesting failure kind of uh, right. kind of idea. It's a lot of fun. Uh, definitely recommend checking it out. So Sarah, did you want to take us out? Yeah, 
All right. Well, thank you, Sam, for coming on our show today. Thank you for having me. I love having a guest. This is so much fun. Yeah, and you're my second one. Yay. Woo. So, um, so, oops. Oh, my gosh. I'm so opening. So, this is how bad I am today. So, I said, um, so, thank you, everyone, for listening today. This is Sinful Sarah's Nazarene. I am your host again, Sarah Sin or Sin, with my partner in crime, Nathaniel. Thanks, everybody. To say goodbye. And then <laughs> Sam from Ball today. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. And I just like to close out by saying um, I'd like to remind you all that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. Thank you. <laughs>